Welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast series. Our guest today is Jamie Gerrits, VP of Service Operations at Aetna, a CVS company. She is Aetna recognized top talent and chairman's award recipient. She has been with CVS for almost 13 years with increasing levels of responsibility. Throughout her career, Jamie has helped craft industry-leading technology solutions to address complex issues working to transform the customer experience around their needs and preferences. Hi Jamie, welcome to Women to Women podcast. So excited to have you with us here today. Oh, thank you for having me. So for our listeners, if you can just tell us what you do today. Yeah, sure. So I right now I'm working for CVS Health. um, And so many of you may even know it as Aetna. So I'm part of that healthcare business division. So, you know, health insurance, but there's a lot changing in that realm. Uh, So my role really, uh, you think of me like kind of a technologist or someone pretending to be a technologist in our customer service Uh, organization. So if you think about a customer service rep, when you call a healthcare company, uh, my team and I work on the application that helps them answer the phone. We're working on things like the IVR. You know, we apologize for that all the time and things like your ID card or an EOB. So a lot of these kind of shared services and key member touch points. And the fun part of what we do is we're always trying to innovate and trying to improve the experience. So that's my current role uh, with CBS Health. That's incredible though. In the last two years, you know, I'm trying to schedule COVID vaccines and everything. We've all seen CVS in the forefront. So amazing job. So thank you for everything you guys did for us. Appreciate that. No, it was really, I I think it was great to be part of a company that was trying so hard to make sure that we got everything. And anytime we'd go into a CVS, you know, those folks were there trying to make sure everybody could get their appointments in. So appreciate you saying it. Insurance, especially healthcare insurance, is something that we don't dream of when we are in high school. (laughs) I'm (laughs) talking about i always drew pictures of me working at a desk all day for 12 hours or more no i'm sorry go ahead growing up in high school what was your ambition and what were you aspiring to be at that point yeah so we think in in high school i don't part of me wonders like did i really even think i knew what i wanted to do but by the time i had to pick a college my plan was to be a, a clinical psychologist and i really think it was probably because i saw characters on tv playing that role and thought it would be very very cool originally was that was my plan i would go and get a, a psych ba and then move on into a clinical program but that did there's multiple reasons but i didn't end up going that going that route but that was always my plan that or like when I was younger, my parents always thought I'd be an artist, but uh, I realized that they don't really make any money until they're dead. And so that wasn't super appealing to me. So what was the plan? So you'll go. I went to college. I went to, to Quinnipiac in, in state. I couldn't really afford to go to Clark University, which is where I wanted to go. One of the best psych schools in the country, which it turned out to be fine. And then probably midway through, I had gotten a job at Aetna. Uh, really to pay the bills. It was an administrative job, but it exposed me to like the business world. And so I just was really curious as to what was happening and all the things that I always heard the executives talking about. And then I also kind of got a little bit of burnout and I don't know that I really wanted to do the research that was involved in in, um, psych. I liked it, but I didn't want it to be full-time. And then I think just there was less of an appeal in the clinical space for me. So I switched and I didn't really like switch my degrees. I didn't want to do more time at at school. I couldn't afford to do that. So I just minored in management and then really worked that side job to then get my job out of college. So probably to be blunt, it was um, I didn't have the kind of mental stamina to do another four years of eating ramen noodles to do a PhD program 
to maybe not love what I was doing when I was done with it. I had some natural interest of working at no, working in kind of a business environment. So I just did the management minor and, you know, networked my way into a entry-level finance job. Psych to finance, totally normal career path. Yeah, but it's incredible how you were able to identify something that you weren't as passionate about and then find something else that you thought was a great career option and pivot at that point. That's a young age, you know, a lot of people don't do that. So that's incredible. But you gave me a great segue. You talked about networking. Oh, the N-word, the networking word, yeah. So a lot of women, especially in our focus groups, were very hesitant to start networking. They didn't know where to start. They had this perception of what a typical networking is and they were hesitant. So how did you go about it? And what does networking really mean for you? And what has that done for you? I probably would normally 10 years ago have had the same reaction to the word networking, not even realizing that it's networking that got me my first job, right? Because it was just an organic thing. I just met people along the way. So that didn't feel like networking, um, but it really was. So for me, like I said, 10 years ago, I would have, if you were talking about networking, I was like, oh, I hate it. It's the worst. It feels like dating, like bad dating. And I still think there's a that component of it, especially if you don't kind of gel with the person right away. But I, I can't stress enough and continue to stress enough having realize that it's gotten to me to, to my next job almost every time. Um, again, I'll call it organic networking, right? I just naturally networked with people as I was doing a project or um, crossing paths with people. So that's the easiest way I think to network is when you have a project, just use it as an opportunity to get to know someone. But the other piece is that kind of awkward networking. Like, I don't know you, you don't know me very well, and I'm just going to call you up and get some time with you. But I think that's really, really important to stretch you. And when I went out on my own and had my own little consulting firm, you have to network. I mean, you have everybody's an opportunity. Uh, they have a problem you might want to solve and you have to get to know them. Or they may know two other people, right? So for business development, which is basically just generating new clients, a fancy way for saying getting work, you really do have to, to view every encounter as a potential networking. And I just think networking has a really bad connotation. So I, I don't know that I have a good replacement for it, but it is really, really important. And if most people think back in their career, the jobs that they've gone is through, like I said, either that kind of natural organic networking, which I think we just rely a little too much on. Um, we're like, oh, someone, I know so-and-so, I'm sure they would call me and offer me this job if it was open. No, no, you need to let them know that you're interested. And then you need to also find other branches and other areas that you might be interested in. The other thing, and I'll be really long-winded about this because I'm really passionate about it. If you go and call someone and ask them for time, um, we talk about this with my staff, if you call someone and say, hey, I just wanna, I just wanna get to know you. First of all, one, you're gonna ask them about their story. Everyone loves talking about themselves. And I guarantee you, you'll probably be the best meeting they have all day long because people really wanna help the other person. So don't think, oh, I don't have anything to offer them. They're just gonna feel better helping you. Um, and again, people love you know talking about themselves. So networking is really, really important. I, I can't stress that enough. I feel like that's why people end up plateauing from a career perspective. Great points. Um, and one of our guests had actually said, she was like, networking is like making connections. You know, exactly yeah. what you said. It's really making that connection, even if you have nothing to offer at that point of time. 
get to know the person. I like that. Better than networking. Along the way, did you ever seek mentors or did you ever participate in mentorship programs? And how did that help? And should women, especially women, seek out mentors? Yeah, I, um, I, yes, I've had both formal and informal mentors. I would say um, the in, I've gotten the most out of, I'll say more, I'll overuse the word organic mentorship where folks that I kind of knew and I already had a relationship with them. And, and I always look for somebody I could have a personal connection with. Like they were also a mom, they had maybe similar characteristics. So I felt like I could relate to them. So I had those mentor relationships um, that I sought out and said, Hey, you know, will you mentor me? Or I've, you know, asked my boss to make a connection. And then I've had the more formal with more senior level folks. And those I think are great. They're great for giving you a different view of how that, that layer of the organization thinks. Um, so that, that was really, really helpful. I think the mistake I will say that I made with that mentorship is one mentor I'm thinking of had offered to introduce me to like other executives. I didn't pursue it. Like I kind of pretended like I didn't hear him or follow up on it because I was just too nervous to meet with them. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to say to, you know, so-and-so. Um, and one of those people is now the president of CVS Health, Karen Lynch. And he had offered for me to meet with her when she had just into the company. Like I said, I basically kind of froze. So I would say if you have those more formal mentorships, they they require more work, more prep, but be really be as pointed as you can about what you want to get out of them and definitely use that to establish other more senior network relationships. What are other people in your life who shaped who you are today? Oh gosh, I feel like I've been shaped more recently just in the last couple of weeks. My team all every day kind of gets me to change or think differently about how I'm handling an issue or even how I'm asking a question um, so I joke, we had the employee survey results that come back a couple of weeks ago. And there's there's always something that will catch you off guard, in a, especially in a big org. So I think for me, you know, recently, it's just the people I work with every day. Obviously, my family, you know, your parents, those are kind of givens. But the people that I work with and how they interact with me, how much they give me energy, how much I could either take away their energy or give them energy. So those are some folks, obviously, prior bosses. And one of my favorite bosses said to me years ago, he said, um, pay attention to what you don't like about a leader and make sure you're not doing that. Because it was funny, I caught myself many times doing that. So looking back at your career, you have done corporate jobs, you have done your own um, entrepreneurship ventures as well. How would you say they're different from each other? It's interesting because I think one of the things that I felt when I did it, you know, in terms of being an entrepreneur, is that I felt like there was a lot more similarities than there were in fact differences. But to your question, I think the biggest difference for me in the way I did going solo and doing the entrepreneurial thing was just the one that comes to mind to just be candid is just loneliness. <laughs> so it was, it's not that um, oh, my dog is showing up right now for this podcast, but you know, it could be a small company. It could be a company of three people, but you always kind of have someone to bounce things off of. And when you're an entrepreneur and you're just starting out by yourself and you're not co-piloting, I would say that that was probably the most like surprising thing for me. And the, the biggest, biggest difference was, you know, you really do feel like you're alone, despite how rich your network is and your support system. I just get a lot of energy 
working with a team and like achieving with a team or even failing or stumbling with the team. Um, so that was the big difference. Others, other than that, though, honestly, it really is uh, kind of the same with just slightly different flavors. You have kids. You have two kids. And two dogs. Yeah. <laughs> glorious dogs, beautiful dogs. So when you were coming up in your career and you were trying to establish yourself, you also would have had a young family at that point. What were some of the things that really worked for you managing both your career, family, and ensuring, because as women, I think we want to be there present 100% in everything we do, whether it's family, it's work. So it gets a little bit more challenging for us to have that right balance. What worked for you? I will just preface it with every week it's something new and you think you have it figured out and then you realize you don't and you overcommitted or whatever. So I'll say that. I think for me, my superpower in managing my being a mom, and that is really my husband, honestly, my partner, because he allows, he picks up the slack on things that maybe doesn't, they don't add value or it's not a big deal. Like for me, it's not a big deal, um, you know, to run into certain appointments, other appointments, right? Like I want to be there, but he'll pick up some of that stuff. Whereas other things like I was, I would do cello with my daughter, right? So I just had somebody where I didn't feel like it was an all or nothing endeavor for me. Um, and then the other pieces, just these are common things. And I've had a, I have a friend who's, who's out there coaching people on authenticity and, and she raises this a lot, you know, just outsourcing where you can, cause it's not adding value to your relationship. So if you're not doing delivery of groceries and you're still going to the grocery store and it's not like your safe place, like outsource that cleaning, you know, getting a cleaning service again, um, anything that's just like not adding value. I even talked my husband into having someone do our lawn years ago and he finally just conceded, uh, because we just didn't have the, the two to three hours every week to do that. So I would say outsource where you can, and then also don't feel guilty saying no to stuff at work. Don't say, you know, your kid's going through a tough time and you just got asked to be part of a talent development program, ask for a deferral, right? Um, there just are going to be times when it's going to be too much, but I don't have it figured out. Like I said, we <laughs> I was just making changes to camp schedules for next week yesterday. So it's always something. And I think we all deal with the same situation. <laughs> so yeah. it's clear that it's not just one or the other, it's everybody's in the same boat. Right. Yes. I mean, my husband, I literally have a meeting every week to go through the, the commuting schedule and like, most of the time it's uh it's cordial some of the time it gets heated looking back would you do anything differently as it relates to your career um if i was just just thinking about my career and not really maybe thinking of the the stuff we just talked about per se i think i would definitely just take more risk i would have just looked outside of my comfort zone so i think that's the biggest thing is i just look back and wish i had you know, why didn't I be a little bit more aggressive here versus there or say yes to something later? Easy to say that now, but I think that's been the biggest thing. And also something that I see with other women and just people that have been in the role for a while, we get a little risk averse, I think, as our career progresses. So somebody who's just graduating college right now and looking into career options, uh, companies like CVS are huge. They have so many opportunities. What kind of skill sets would you advise them to start looking at so they can have a better career in a company like this? There's so many to choose from, right? Um, I would say first, you don't have to have them all. 
And any job application, you don't have to have them all checked off, but I would say financials, having a basic understanding of financials because companies can't exist if they don't know how to pay their bills, right? Vendor management and negotiation, that's a little bit harder. It's not something you're going to be able to get coming out of school. Project management, there's very few jobs where you're not doing at least some basic project management. And then really storytelling, that's a big one that I think, you know, I continue to struggle with and so many people continue to struggle with, but understanding what really makes people tick and how to, how to tell a story. I think those are some of the ones that come immediately to mind. Mind you, there's a, there's a whole bunch, but and then back to the original point is that that ability to make connections and then probably really just listening. If I had to pick just one, right, it's just that listening and continuous learning, which that they usually go hand in hand. Excellent list, by the way. In your career, as you have mentored and been mentored, are there certain attributes or perceptions around women that you have seen come again and again into play? And how have you overcome those situations? Yeah, I think the perceptions of women and I'm not calling anybody out in particular, have been that when we have children that we automatically want to kind of downshift on our career. Um, From people I've trusted, right? They've, you know, said, oh, well, you're not going to want, you know, maybe you work a a four four day a week schedule, right? I'm like, I never mentioned that. Like, why would I want to do that, right? And maybe I did, but I think there are some assumptions that get made when a woman has a family that aren't necessarily the same when um, a male has a family. And I think it should be equal. Like there are things my husband would love to do, right? And, And other males would love to do. So that's been probably the biggest thing. I don't know that all the other things like when I'm aggressive in a meeting versus like when a male's aggressive or something, I'm sure maybe there's some nuances there, but to the best of my knowledge, it hasn't held me back. I think it's more that, okay, you know, Jamie has two young kids and you'll kind of hear it. You'll hear it even from other women, you know, is it the right time? And I don't think that should be, um, that should be the individual's choice, not, you know what I mean? Not the group's choice. So that's been the biggest challenge. And again, didn't hold me back. My risk aversion probably held me back much more than anything that was gender related. And do you see women making um, certain types of mistakes that you think hold us back more? Oh, I do. And I think it's from all the good places that all the good things we have to offer. So I think the most common thing that I see is women um, say, "I, I don't have all the experience for that job right? So I'm not going to apply. I see when they do apply for the job and they get offered the job, they don't advocate for their salary. They say, well, if I deserve, you know, say they want to make X, they'll, they'll say something like, I've had someone say this to me. Well, you know, when I'm, when I'm working really hard and I prove myself, then, then you can pay me that. And I'm like, no, 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 you should be paid for the job I'm hiring you for. You've already proven that with the whole experience and process. So it is okay to negotiate. My general advice to people that really struggle to negotiate, which is most people, but women in particular, is they feel like it's uh, they're self-important when they're negotiating, is negotiate for your family. Negotiate for your family. You are That's money. That's going to go towards their education or to something that they can do. And if you leave that on the table and don't even ask, 
like you're shortchanging them, right? So I, it sometimes helps people because then they don't feel as guilty or selfish advocate, you know, advocating for themselves. But I would say that's probably, you know, one of the biggest, I don't want to call it mistakes. I think the, the newer generation, not newer, but more that's coming to the workforce, I think they're more comfortable negotiating. So I'd like to think those women won't. And then the other is just the risk taking that we already talked about. I like, I do think there's a bias in women do value. They probably place at a little higher value some of the other intangibles in their workplace. Maybe, I don't know if there's research on that, but I do find that people will place those, those uh, things like, okay, maybe I have a certain schedule or maybe I, you know, like my boss or something that'll keep them from taking that next risk because they don't want to kind of disrupt things. Are there certain values that you hold very close? Yes, definitely integrity and honesty. Like those are big for me. That's something you just always have to be true to yourself, even if it means kind of going against what maybe somebody else is thinking or your management. That's always the one that comes to mind. There's, There's a lot of others, right? Like being kind to others. It's really important. Uh, but for me, like being honest is is the best kind of compliment. Um, it's a sign of respect. I don't like to have to guess what other people are thinking. So for me, that's probably always number one is, you know, the integrity and honesty piece, like doing what you say and and saying what you what you mean. Jamie, this has been a great conversation. Any closing comments for our listeners? I really just go back to the risk taking. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're probably doing it for a reason, right? You're trying to think about your next move. And and somebody said it on my team actually, like nobody's got it figured out. There, there, there isn't a career path. So trust that any choice you make, even if it's a wrong turn, you'll you'll know how to get out of it. The best advice I got when I was on my own as an entrepreneur. Uh, and I was very nervous. My my therapist, actually, she said, write down all the things, the worst things that can happen on a left side column, everything, like you never get a client, you know, blah, 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 every terrible thing you can imagine. And then spend the next 15 minutes writing what you would do about it, because chances are you would have a plan. So it's not as big of a, of a jump as you would think. So that's the best advice I, got, I was given. So thank you so much for having me. No, thank you for your time and excellent advice. Really appreciate it.